Church, I woke up this morning and I rolled over and I hugged future wife pillow. (laughs) And I said, hey, Alexa, give me a good sermon. And you know how Alexa is, right? She doesn't always get things straight. She said, retrieving story of how Mike and Diana Velasquez originally met. I said, wow, that's a good story. Maybe I'll just roll with that. See, back in the day, I have to go way back, back to like high school. Mike was a little shy. Diana was really, is really nice looking. And uh, in high school, man, she was a looker. All the guys were lined up to ask her out to the prom. And Mike, not to be deterred, took his place in line and waited and waited and waited and waited. And she said, yes. (coughs) He was so happy, couldn't believe it. Out of all the men, out of all the guys in high school, she picked me, he was so excited. So he ran down to the tuxedo shop to get fitted, right, for the prom. But when he got there, there was people lined up out the door, so he waited and waited and waited and waited. And he finally got in and got sized and got the perfect tuxedo. The collar came down to like here, right? (laughs) So then Mike's mother said, you you have to give her (coughs) beautiful flowers, a a great bouquet. It's all in the bouquet. So he ran down to the florist, but by the time he got there, the place was packed. He waited and waited and waited and waited, but he got the perfect bouquet. And the night came, and he picked her up, and they went to the prom, and it was beautiful. It was a starry night, and they wanted to get their picture taken to commemorate the moment, so they got in line, but guess what? Such a long line. They waited, 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 and waited, but they got their picture taken. And they went on the dance floor. And they began to dance. And Mike said, Diana, are you thirsty? And she said, I am. So he ran over and was back in a flash. And she said, wow, that was quick. And he said, yeah, there was no punchline. You have, no many, you have no idea how many dad jokes I saved in order to bring you that. You should thank me. Merry Christmas. Twenty-fifth anniversary. I think I heard a story about that. Congratulations, Mr. and... Mrs. Velasquez. You know, where we're from is almost as important as where we're going. So it was with our Messiah, Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11. Thank you, Pam. Yeah, right. This one. Isaiah chapter 11, we read about branch of David. It's beautiful, iconic language that we've come to love and appreciate about Jesus, the lion and the lamb, and a little child will lead them. 
It comes from Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 11 where it says, A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. We all have somewhere that we are from, don't we? I'm from the Midwest. Perhaps you're from the great state of California. Or you're from another country. We all have roots. We all came from somewhere, and we're all going somewhere. And it was the same with Jesus when you, when you envision Christ, our Messiah. You have to envision him in time and place. That Jesus had a beginning. Theologically, we don't think of Jesus as having a beginning, do we? We think of the word that was with God in the beginning, Jesus, who always was the eternal word, but Jesus was also born in time and place. And we know, we've been around long enough, we've heard the stories, it wasn't that spectacular of a place that he came from. Like Cincinnati. Anyone from Cincinnati? Whew. Jesus came from Bethlehem. It was tiny. It's still tiny. You can go there today. It's not much of a town at all. But Bethlehem was David's town, and Jesus' lineage is traced through David's clan. He came in time and place. He came from Jesse. Jesse was David's father. Matthew's very careful to draw even the maternal lineage of Jesus back to Bethlehem, to David, and to Jesse. Jesus came from somewhere unspectacular. And people like that we tend to write off, don't we? People that come from the margins. People that step out of the shadows. Interesting study, Jesus' immigrant status, right? Jesus, the political refugee. Jesus, the commoner. He came in time and place from somewhere that we wouldn't account to be all that important. Something happened along the way, right? Something miraculous. Something beautiful. Jesus was not ordinary. After all, he was extraordinary. Because he was endowed with the Spirit of God in a way that no one before him or after him has been. Isaiah makes much of it in his prophecy in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. The sevenfold manifestation of the Spirit of God resting on Messiah. Time and time again, in the prophecies recorded in our Older Testament book of Isaiah. 
we have this theme of spirit endowment. I will place my spirit on him, the Lord says, and he will bring peace to the nations. Because he was directed by, motivated by, fueled by the Spirit of God, Jesus was able to be and do what no one else had been able to be or do. And you have to understand, it seems to us like we look back and Jesus is the only story that pops for us from the ancient Near East. But Jesus came in time and place where there was uh, this fever pitch anticipation of Messiah. Every guy on every corner claimed messianic status. Every guy on every corner had a plan to take over the world. Jesus was just another one of those that bubbled to the top because of the Holy Spirit's endowment. Because what Jesus did was sustainable in a way that no one else's plan had been. And it was also different, right? Counterculture, we get that. We understand. Jesus was not a political zealot, had no intentions of overthrowing the immediate Roman Empire. Because he had grander designs. And where he came from, Palestine, was not where he was going to this peaceable kingdom, this world of the lion and the lamb that we sing about and anticipate. He was spirit endowed, verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And Jesus, in addition to being spirit empowered, was governed internally by Righteousness, correctness, justice. Jesus had this internal barometer because the Spirit of God dwelled in him in a way unparalleled in history. With righteousness, verse 4, he'll judge the poor. Decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And this played out for us, right, as we read through the gospel narrative. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John records for us the stories of Jesus' rightness and justice and fairness and equity. Jesus was able to see things as they were, right? Like you all are a bunch of hypocrites, and this one over here that you've cast aside has it all right. Jesus essentially turned our value system upside down. And he said, what you prize is low, and what you despise is high. Jesus gave us eyes to see. That's what it means for people like you and I uh, in, in, in today's world to be people of faith is to see not only what he saw, but to see how he saw. That's how we exist in the world as disciples of Jesus, with an internal barometer 
adjusted not only by our own sense of fairness or what's right or what is compassionate or what's, what's the good thing to do in this situation, but fueled by God's Spirit. It's an incredibly unfair advantage that we have because we, like Jesus, are capable of tapping into the divine aspect of life in a way that we never could have before and, and would certainly not be able to apart for, from him. That's what, when Paul talked in the New Testament about, about being in Christ, that's what he meant, friends. You are in Christ, capable of determining what's right, what's fair, what's good, having a value system that, although it's maybe inverted in the eyes of the world, makes perfect sense in the kingdom economy. And that's what this is about, Jesus taking us from a place like Cincinnati to somewhere remarkable, spectacular. In the words of the prophet, verse 6, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf, and the lion, the fatling together, and guess what? A little child shall lead them. Wasn't that cool? Jesus and the guys were talking, right? About what's important, what really matters, the disciples jockeying for position, trying to look important and spectacular. And this little kid came up, right? Dust on his feet, probably drool running down his cheek, dirty, disheveled. And Jesus said, you guys want to know what's cool? You guys want to know what matters? You want to know what's really good? He took the little kid and he set him on his lap, this one right here. The kingdom belongs to little urchins like this. That's where it's at. Not the priest rolling down the street in his flowing robes carrying the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. That was not where it's at. Not the television preacher with the glitz and the glam and the packed out stadiums and the offering plates flowing over. That's not where it's at. It's in the simple things. It's in the ordinary things. It's in the common things. And Jesus helps usher us into this kingdom way of thinking. Kingdom mentality. It's the Beatitudes. Recorded in uh, Matthew chapter 5. The introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which was in essence his declaration of kingdom righteousness. This is where it's at. Read it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You have time because all you're reading in December is the book of Proverbs, as I recall. Which brings us to about chapter 8 this morning. Flip, 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 catch up. One chapter a day through the end of December, the book of Proverbs. Also Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie with the kid, the calf and the lion, the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. What does this mean? What is this kingdom? Because by my reckoning, that, that's not like, that's not headline news right there, right? 
Things are still pretty messed up. The world we live in is still fairly imperfect 2,000 years down the line. So we adjust our sights, okay? We recalibrate our measure of what we're looking for and how it happens. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a, a series of parables or stories or illustrations that helped us grasp and understand what the kingdom was like. He said it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. There are about six or eight of them. You can read that. Matthew 13, add that to your list. One of the things he said is it's like leaven. Any bakers here? Anyone like to bake? You know a little bit about leaven, right? What is it? It's that which makes bread rise. And he said the kingdom's like leaven, just a little bit mixed into the dough, sort of permeates the entire thing. And he said the kingdom's like that. It's, it's infiltration. The kingdom's happening. Things are popping when you don't even see or notice what's going on. It's growing and you're not even aware of it. It's like mold in your ceiling. Growth. The kingdom's growing, it's advancing, it's happening, and, and you don't even perceive it, perceive it, right? You turn on CNN and you don't see anything about peaceable kingdom. You don't see the lion and the lamb on CNN or anywhere. But what do we see? We see tragedy, we see heartache, but behind the scenes it's happening, it's taking place, and all at once it will manifest. We're Baptist believers, we're Christians, we're evangelicals. We are looking for the return of Christ Jesus. We are looking for an actual, literal, physical kingdom, and it will manifest in time and place in a way we're not looking for. Verse 9 says, They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I stopped by Pescadero Beach this week just to make sure that the Pacific Ocean was still there. And I stepped out of my car and I watched and I listened as the waves came crashing in endlessly. And that Pacific's a big sucker, right? So on the other side of that is what? Japan. That's a lot of water. As the waters cover the earth, the world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. This is what we have to look forward to. It's going on now. It's happening, right? It's in your life. It's in mine. We're beginning to act in line with a set of values that aren't popular, that never have been. Or maybe that were but aren't anymore because, right, our world is post-Christian. People don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't appreciate it. Jesus who? But it's taking place in us quietly, imperceptibly. It's like a coup. You and I, we're spies. We're zealots. We're enlisted in this cause. We are engaged in a warfare of sorts. And then it happens all at once. 
Probably again in a way that we won't expect. They didn't expect it the way that it went down the first time, did they? Jesus wasn't at all what they were looking for. How will it be the next time? We think we have an idea, right? We read, brother, book of Revelation. We see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see Jesus coming on the clouds with glory, and we hail him king, or do we? Stay tuned. Pay attention. The kingdom is advancing. We're a part of it. It's happening. That was Isaiah's message. It's happening now. It's in, it's in our time. This is, this is something that should be on our radar. The kingdom of Jesus, the peaceable kingdom that knows no end. Messiah came to bring it. It's coming. We're realizing it. It's dawning. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie with the kid, the calf and the lion, the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. In this economy, the things that we think matter might not, and the things we discard as important might be preeminent. What's that mean for you and I? How watchful we need to be? how open we need to be, wide open, how humble we need to be. We could be entirely wrong. Mm. I'm never wrong, but I'm always certain. Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the kingdom of Jesus and our place in it. Thank you, Jesus, that we can call you brother, that you came from somewhere just like the rest of us. And you were undeterred in your pursuit and in your ushering in of this kingdom that knows no end. It's begun and we've joined the ranks and we're committed to its advance. God, give us courage, give us openness, give us the spirit of wisdom and endowment, God, to know the truth, to be righteous and just and to advance the cause of Christ in our day, in our time in our home, and in our lives. We pray in the matchless, peerless, unparalleled name of Jesus Messiah. Amen. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you, yeah.